Welcome to the very first episode of Stardust MQ. My name's Cameron Furlong. My guest today is Ursula DeMarco. She's a professor of astronomy and astrophysics. Her research focus is in closed binary star systems and planetary nebula. I've known Ursula for a number of years, mostly as a student. I love her passion and she's always a pleasure to talk to and listen to. And I had the opportunity to sit down with her again to talk about her early life and how she got into astronomy in the first place, her current research and some memorable moments from her career. There's something I think in astronomers and physicists as well that it seems to be innate. Like it's a, a thing that starts right away. I don't remember a time when I didn't want to be a physicist. So for me, astronomy was a little bit of a late choice, but um, I knew I would be a physicist. And actually, I remember this jumping on a train and putting a cigarette butt. At the time, there were a lot of cigarette butts on the ground, and I would put a cigarette butt by my feet. And I jump up on the train expecting that I would be sliding backwards as the train moved forward, right? And of course, that's not what happens if the train is not accelerating. And so I'd be thinking about why is the train not moving while I'm in the air? And of course, this was uh, the same experiments Galileo was doing, right? When he was talking in, his, um, in the dialogue about the ship and while the ship moves, things should move back, but they don't. And why is that? And inertia and so on. So... I have never been anything else. Uh, I know it's a little bit boring, but I kind of feel very much that's the way. So Ursula, what are you currently researching at the moment? I have for the last decade concentrated primarily on understanding stars in the knowledge that they don't live uh, individual lives. So they don't, they're not like single people that don't marry all their life. They're like people who um, pretty much from birth, they're paired up. Um, and that pairing has an effect on their life. Now, until recently, we knew, of course, stars come both in singles and in, and in pairs, sometimes even in groups of gravitationally bound systems. But we felt that binarity or stellar multiplicity was kind of um, a red thing, not so common. And sure, it makes a bit of a mess for the star, but it's not something that happens very often. But today, we know that that's not the case, that stars primarily the massive ones, like uh, things about 10 times the mass of the sun and above, are always in pairs. And very often those pairs are close enough that they actually interact with one another during the life of the star. Most often you don't know there's a companion uh, acting on a star because they're so far away that you don't see them as two. They're just too far away. And often one of the two stars is quite dim. So all you see is the star. Um, you don't see its companion but you do see its effect on the star. However, if you don't know there's a companion, you might interpret those, those effects as due to the star itself. So I have, um, I guess, worked in my last, you know, the last decade of my career primarily on what those effects are and how we interpret stars' light, its changes, as well as its long-term um, sort of properties as, the effect of a companion having acted on that star. During your career, uh, do any events stand out to you as particularly memorable? In my personal research, I think a big eureka moment was, um, I guess it's in two parts. The first part is when I realized that the whole uh, field of planetary nebula, which is a reasonably big field, we have uh, big symposia every five years, we have uh, sub-symposia, I realized that everybody was, in my opinion, barking up the wrong tree. 
people were truly looking at the stars in, in, in our field of research as single stars. And there had been a few people talking about binarity, so a companion star being important. But they were kind of a little bit, um, you know, the little voice that people go, well, whatever, whatever. And I suddenly found myself with them, right? So I went from being in mainstream to being in left field. And I went to a conference and I gave a talk actually about this. And one of the most prominent people in the field told me I was discrediting myself, that going that path is not a good path. How can that ever be the case, right? Ever, you know, unless you're not following a good methodology and you're really making mistakes. Why? I mean, this is the plausibility of the binary hypothesis is definitely there. Now, let's try and figure out how we can pursue a method that allows us to corroborate it or to discredit it, right? That's what we do in science. So that moment was like a big, first of all, a big disappointment that somebody would say that. Second, the field, the conviction of following this relatively lonely path. And then the next moment was when perhaps um, a few years later, I felt very strongly supported in this by a large fraction of the community. Suddenly, people were saying, yes, it is plausible. It is really a good hypothesis. Let's follow it through with all kinds of experiments. And, and now I do really feel that this is very mainstream. It is one of those things where it takes a long time to, to add incremental evidence to what will, I think, eventually become the mainstream hypothesis. But people are really on board. And um, I do feel in great part responsible for that shift. And so, um, although it wasn't just a eureka moment, it certainly was the product of a lot of hard work over perhaps a good decade. But I, I feel very vindicated when I see people proposing their own ideas to follow through this general um, hypothesis. So with that experience in mind, what advice would you give to students who are wanting to begin a career in science? I have two words of advice. One of them is sometimes you'll find yourself in the minority and people will be um, not quite in agreement with you. Um, sometimes it'll be all good learned conversations and that's fine. Nobody's uncomfortable with those. Um, and other times some people might pull, pull rank a little bit, like say, well, you know, how, how, what do you know? Maybe you're younger, um, but stick to your method. You know, in the end, the good old scientific method, if you stick to that, you're never going wrong. And even if sometimes the path is a little lonely, um, it's okay. Now, the other part is allies, which we also know as collaborators, um, are fundamental. Work with your friends, um, work with people who can both challenge you, but also support you and mentor you if they're older than you primarily. And then the path isn't very lonely, even if you're doing something a little bit different or tricky. And finally, um, a word of advice from a very old friend of mine and a collaborator and a mentor was find a problem that you like, but also a problem that you feel you can take a bite out right? Obviously, any one person might not be able to solve quantum loop gravity, but can you find a subset of the problem that you can attack? And maybe over, not over a month, but over a few years, feel like you made some progress. And then that will also be what you're known for, right? It becomes yours. But particularly to get a job in the future, to, to find your next position, people will have to know what was your role. So you have to really think about what is my unique contribution? What bite have I taken out of this big problem? 
was I the one who invented a little part of an instrument that was functional or essential to reach a certain precision, to reach a certain depth of uh, observation. So identify that is, I would say, a very important piece of advice that I was given and that I was certainly would give to others. Stardust MQ is a podcast made with the support of the Macquarie University Department of Physics and Astronomy and the Macquarie University Physics and Astronomy Society. Our intro music is by Poddington Bear and our outro theme is from Ketzer. I'll talk to you next time.